following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. I don't know if you've ever picked up a a picture of, of the old days in your life, a picture from the past, and when you look at this picture from maybe when you were younger or years earlier, you you kind of start taking a trip down memory lane. Have you guys ever done that? You start looking, maybe it's the photo album, and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And you're starting to go back, and you're kind of reliving it again. Um, you know, there was a time recently we went down to San Diego, and uh, my mom, who raised six children, I'm one of six, uh, she figured it's time for each one of you to have all your old memorabilia back. Each one, you're all big enough. And mom doesn't have to store it forever. So each, each child got a big bag full of things. And it was from like the artwork. You know how like, I don't know about you, if you have kids, when they draw something, you think it's a Picasso. You think it's like, it's a Van Gogh. It's like, and then later on you look at it and go, no, it's not. But at the time, at the time, you know, you, you think maybe it is. So she has all these things in there and she's got pictures in there and there's like old report cards and um, all this stuff is in there. And I had to make this decision looking at all this stuff um, am I actually going to keep any of this stuff or is it time for it to move it on? And maybe you've done that with things in your life. Is it time to keep it or time to move it on? And kept some pictures and a few little things, but a lot of it, a lot of it, I just had to move it on. And then she had a couple of boxes of trophies. Those were bigger. They take up more space. When we were younger, we played basketball and baseball and some wrestling in high school. She had all these trophies and my kids are down there and like, dad, these are all your trophies. Cool. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but we're not going to take them. He's like, and, and the boys are like, why not dad? Now they love their trophies. They have trophies in their room and they can't understand why we're not going to keep these trophies from <clears throat> 10, 20 years ago. <clears throat> and I'm like, you know what? They just don't really mean to me. <laughs> A little honesty in God's house. Amen, sister. Um, <laughs> They just don't mean to me the same that they did back then. They didn't understand because typically when you're young, you put them all around your room. This is awesome, your trophies, and they don't mean anything to me. So I I pretty much got rid of all of those trophies except for one. There was one trophy I kept, and it's when I played basketball for a city league in New York City, and it was put on by the the PAL, the Police Athletic League. And the Police Athletic League was um, off-duty police officers who just kind of went out onto the streets looking for kids to get them involved in sports. And I remember this guy, he was a, an, an amazing man. He was a, a police officer and he was looking for these kids to kind of get them out of trouble. And he, he'd put them together and he'd build a team and in each town he'd grab a few kids here and a few kids here, anybody he could find on the streets. He'd put them together and he was calling us into something higher. He was calling us into something better. He was, he was helping to shape us, to mold us. He was really helping to mentor and disciple us at a young age when we didn't really know that. We were probably 12 or 13 or somewhere in that age. But, but this guy, he would, he'd get us all together. He would take a knee. He would look us in the eye. He would lead us in the Lord's prayer. He would try to get our hearts lined up and teach us something. So when I looked at that trophy, I'm like, this one means something completely different. This reminds me of a coach who was shaping lives. And I want to remember this one. So the rest of them went away. And this one I kept. But in life, we do these kind of things. We have to ask ourselves when it comes to our past, which things that we put a high value on and we hold them really tight or which things we decide to demote and give a lower value. 
and let go of. The Apostle Paul knew this very well. And he's in this process in his life where God took somebody who was a Christian killer, a killer, a murderer, somebody who deserved capital punishment for what he did. But God got a hold of his heart. And instead of tormenting men, women, and children who are Christ followers, God began to turn this heart around, take away a heart of stone, give him a heart of flesh, and began this transformation process where the Apostle Paul began to get developed into this amazing man of God that was being used profoundly for, for the Lord, and it was a process. It's a, it's a sanctification process, a process of transformation, and it doesn't happen on day one, and all of us are in that transformation process. We're at different stages where God calls you, but he loves you too much. He loves us where we are at, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are at. So he calls us in any condition, and as we follow, he transforms us. And, you know, there's, there's things that Paul is learning in his life, we're going to read in Philippians today, picking up where we left last week, where God is making some amazing things happen. Paul is not back where he used to be. God is using him. He's writing scripture. He's raising the dead. He's being used to represent Jesus in profound ways, changing cities, one town after another. And the beauty of this is, God is making things happen because Paul is cooperating with God. And I would suggest to you this morning that God wants to make some amazing things happen in your life as well. But it's gonna take you and I cooperating with God in the process, in this transformation process, cooperating with God in the work that he's doing to sanctify, to transform us, to renew our minds, to to conform us more into the image of Jesus. It is a process And I would encourage that we go along with God's process so we can get in and see God make these great things happen in our lives as well. So um, if you have your Bibles with you, if you can open to Philippians chapter three, Uh, Pastor Scott started this um, section last week. And I wanna just recap one little section before we move on, uh, Philippians three. And um, I just wanna touch on verse seven and eight really quick, recap from last week so we have an understanding of what is going on here. And uh, Paul, again, in this passage, he's talking very much about his identity, uh, the identity that he used to have, the identity that he was quite proud of, the identity and the achievements in his life that shaped him and formed him and gave him recognition, uh, all of these things, he's coming to terms with them, and he's saying these used to be really important things. They used to be very valuable. People knew me by this. I had credit with these things, but nowadays... As Jesus is shaping me and transforming me, these things don't quite line up the way they used to. And I I believe God's calling that uh, in our lives too to to reassess these things. And let's see um, how God was working these things out in Paul's life. I want to read this first section. We're going to be reading out of the NIV, but this one scripture, I like the way it read in in the New Living Translation. So Philippians 3, verse 7 says this, says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now... I consider them worthless because what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Wow. He's taking valuable things and he is demoting them on an incredible level. Um, He names off some of his biggest accomplishments, some of the biggest accomplishments in his life. 
And in other passages, he says I was, earlier, he says I was a, a Pharisee and he was zealous and he, he climbed the ladder. He would have been uh, serving in the Sanhedrin, one of the religious leaders of, of Jerusalem. And when we look at his history, Paul actually got really, really far. He was way ahead of his peers in what was the aim, what was the goal, what was successful. And all of his peers were saying, Saul, Paul, you're, you're the man. You, you've got it going on. But you see, when he came to Christ, God began to reshape his mind, began to reshape his heart, began to reshape his aim, began, began to reshape what is actually successful, what is valuable, what is eternal, what matters most and what doesn't. And all of a sudden, there's a, there's a transfer in value that happens in our lives and the things that we value and the things we don't value, there's a shift that happens. And I would encourage you, if you wanna see God make great things happen in your life, you have to come to terms with value, value in the eyes of God. We can't just make a decision for Jesus. Yes, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins, I believe, and not go to the next step and look at value. We have to really come to terms with the topic of what we value because Paul did and he's naming off all these big things and he goes, you know what? These things used to be considered really valuable to me. They were very valuable. And right now, he's like, Compared to God's big picture, I consider them rubbish. Some translations say uh, worthless, trash, basura, nothing, garbage. What you would throw away, nothing, no value. And you're thinking, wait, Paul, these are things that you did put big value on not that long ago. And he's like, you're right. But when Jesus got a hold of my heart, he began to shape and rechange what value is all about. And this is the whole point this morning because God is making things happen in Paul's life. God wants to make things happen in our life. We have to cooperate with him in this process of transformation, of sanctification. And a big key factor is what we value, where we place value. You see, we can live our whole life saying, yes, I make a confession believing in Jesus and yet we can live our entire life chasing the wrong values. So easy to do, especially in America where our flavor of Christianity is unlike historic Christianity. The flavor, the style of Christianity in America is a consumerism Christianity. The style that we have over here is a a narcissistic version of Christianity. I was hearing a story of Francis Chan going over to explain uh, in Africa to some people he was sharing at a conference uh, about Christianity in America. And he said, see, in our country, when people don't like the song selection... They leave and go to another church. And the people were laughing like, you've got to be kidding me. And he's like, yeah, in, our, in America, if people don't like you know, the lights or the facilities or the kids' room or the climbing wall or all this, stuff, if they don't like that, then they go to another church and the people are laughing. But he wasn't laughing. He was serious. He was just saying, it's just the way it is in America. And the people are like, clearly you're joking. Clearly this is not. And in America, we've drifted because we put value, family, please listen, We put value in the wrong things, even though we're very well-intended. We just put value in the wrong things. And and God is telling Paul, I want to take you to this place, and I want to use you profoundly to be a world changer, but we got to come to terms with what we value compared to what God places value in, because if not, we're never going to get to partner with God in the greater things. We're never going to get to share those stories or those testimonies of, wow, look what God has done because we're putting our value in the wrong things. Paul's like, all those things I used to do, all those things I used to get 
you know, uh, credibility for these days compared to knowing God and the big picture of Christ and knowing him, they're like trash. They're really like rubbish. I throw them all away and you're like, wow, that is a profound reality to come to terms with. And so we have to look at this this morning and that sets us up for where we're going. He goes even further. He goes, compared to knowing Christ deeply, everything else is like worthless garbage is the way he says this. Now, um, there's a story of a guy who, uh, who loves the Lord, but he also loves some stuff, and particularly it's gold. And so this guy, who loves the Lord, he also loves gold, and he's got a bag with some gold bars in it, two or three gold bars, they're heavy, and he kind of keeps them in life. He loves, his, he loves the Lord, but he loves the gold. And he tells everyone, like, when I die, I want to be buried with my gold. They're like, okay. So they bury him with his gold. And fast forward, the snapshot goes like this. He's standing there at the pearly gates and St. Peter's there to greet him. And he says, yes, can I come in? And he looks in the book and he looks up his name. He's like, yeah, you're in the book. You love the Lord, but what's with the bag? He's like, yeah, I want to bring this in. St. Peter's like, oh, no, 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 we don't, we don't bring anything in here. We don't, you can't use it. You don't need anything in here. He's like, look, I, I, really, I really need to bring this in. He's like, yeah, we're not, I really can't let you in. He goes, but can I look in the bag? I mean, what's the big deal about this bag? Do you mind if I take a look? And the guy says, the guy says, sure. So St. Peter looks in there and he looks at the gold bars and goes, really? Pavement? You brought pavement? You went through your whole life carrying pavement and you brought pavement to heaven. How many of you know that streets are paved with gold in heaven, the Bible says? And, and that's just a snapshot of that. What we put value in, what matters eternally is so inconsequential and yet this well-intended man in this story, humorously, is going through his life thinking he's gonna bring something that's gonna have some, and it actually has no value at all. I think we can do the same thing. Here's the thing this morning. I wanna encourage you to take some notes this morning because it speaks profoundly to value and how God is gonna make things happen in your life. We're talking about making it happen. We partner with God in making these things happen. Our transformation, our sanctification, our renewal, all these things that God wants to do in our lives to, to, to graduate us to newer levels as mature sons and daughters of God. Uh, we gotta come to terms with this. The first point this morning is this. To get promoted, other things in our life must get demoted. To get promoted in God's kingdom and what, the way he wants to use you, uh, other things have to get demoted. The Bible says to be faithful with little things, God will make you faithful of greater things. In God's economy, he looks for our faithfulness and, and people like Paul are realizing, even though I've got all these accolades, I've got this experience, I'm a Pharisee among Pharisees, guess what? None of it matters anymore. I'm taking up those things, I'm ripping them up because compared to knowing Christ and what God wants to do in my life, those mean nothing anymore. I'm throwing them in the trash can. And you're thinking, wow, that is a profound thing that comes to terms with, but that is the heart of what he's speaking to the church. Because there are well-intended Christians, just like the man in the story with the bars of gold, that cling on to the wrong stuff, putting enormous value on things that doesn't have ultimate value, and miss out on what God wants to make happen in your life. And so uh, that's my prayer this morning, is that we, we reassess what we value reassess what you value. Reassess what you put profound value on. I, I believe it's time for us this morning to maybe demote some things in our lives. Now, here's the thing about demoting things. You can't demote things for me, and I can't demote things for you. You have to demote things in your own life, and I have to demote things in my life. Paul says, for me, as all this stuff 
I'm going to demote it. I consider my stuff, my stuff, I consider like trash now compared to this. And if we're willing to demote some things in our life, I think you're going to see God replace that with some much more valuable things, things that you will love, things that you will appreciate. You will see God make things happen in your life in a profound way. Um, this week, I, I wrote a blog on um, one man's trash is another man's treasure. You guys heard the expression? Or one man's treasure sometimes is another man's trash. And by the way, if you have our church app, it's the church link. Um, if you don't have our church app, get it so you can connect with us in a lot of ways. But it's, uh, it's the church link app. And uh, if you download it on um, Google Play or at the App Store, uh, once you put in this address, it always populates as our, as our app. So uh, that's a great way to stay connected. But in there, you know, our blog is there. And it, and, and it was talking about in, in the blog how some people put profound value on things that other people are throwing away. And maybe you've been out for a walk at night in the neighborhood and you saw somebody, anybody ever do that? You saw somebody put something out, come on, a little more honesty in God's house. And you go, that's actually pretty legit. I think I'll take it, right? Okay, it's not, no harm, no foul. Um, one man's trash is sometimes another man's treasure. You know, and we've done the same thing. We've put some things out there. Christy said, I put something out and I look out, I don't even see it. It's gone already, poof, you know? And so sometimes what you put out, other people pick up. I do have to confess, we had an old tube TV. Remember the old school tube TVs? Probably a 20-something-year-old TV. I put it out there. Nice working TV. I said, works great, free. I put it out there. It sat there for a week, and no one took it. So sometimes one man's trash is another man's trash, not their treasure. But the point is this. We put value in things sometimes that don't actually have value. And, and I believe God is looking at us saying, listen, I have treasure for you. But what you're treasuring is not really treasure. And if you're willing to demote it down to the trash level, some of these things, I've got so much more treasure for you. That is what Paul is discovering in this passage. That's the heart condition of what he's communicating to the Philippians right here. So uh, let's pick this up in uh, verse 12, Philippians 3.12, and see how this plays out. He says this in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Um, he starts with why he's doing this, and this is important. He starts this whole passage on why he is compelled to shift things in his life, uh, why he's willing to cooperate with God and making things happen, this transformation process. And he starts out with this, this principle on why Christ Jesus took hold of you. And I think you and I have to start at the same place. Why, why did God take hold of you in the first place? Do you realize you're in the faith? Do you realize you have eternity if you've said yes to Jesus this morning? Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but there's other people in your family or friends on your block who are not in that Lamb's Book of Life. Do you realize that? Ouch. How come you're in it and how come they're not? How come? How come you're in it and they're not? How come you have eternity? How come you might have the Spirit dwelling in you and they don't? Because God loves the whole world. God loves the whole world that he gave his only son. But some of us have taken hold in a way. Some of us have acknowledged the love of God. That he, Jesus paid a price for us personally and we said, yes, 
I want it. And we put out our hand and we said, yes, I want it. I will take the provision. Thank you. Yes, I want it. And others are like, "Mm, I'm good. I'm good. And I can't understand why some would pull away like that when the love of God is extending his hand. What a love the Father has lavished on us that we get to be called children of God, sons and daughters. He's got a hand out and some are like, no, I'm, I'm cool. I'm good. Seriously? Yeah, no, I'm cool. And God's like, no, I don't think you understand. Where you're going, you can't get to without me. I, ha- I got a provision for you. I love you. It's motivated by my love. Come in the relationship with me. Accept my provision. It starts here. Come on, take your hand. And some grab and others push away. You know, it gives me the analogy, and you've probably seen it in a movie, really kind of a freaky scene in a movie. You've seen this before, where somebody is hanging from a cliff and they grab the other person. You've seen this, right? Right? They grab the other person and they want to pull them up. And sometimes they hold on. They grab and they take hold and they pull them up. But sometimes you see the other person let go. Have you seen that in a movie? And we're all watching the TV going, no, you know, slow motion. It's like, why would you ever let go? Why would you not take hold? And God's love is that way. I'm putting out my hand. I want to grab you. Would you take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you and wants to grab you? And some people are reaching up, grabbing and saying, yes, thank you. And other people are like, no, I'm good. And I don't understand why they do that, but I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to share the love of God with people will change their mind and grab on, amen? And you guys too, that's the aim. Because all of your friends and family and neighbors ought to be in that Lamb's Book of Life. And as long as we uh, love people and compel them to understand that God's love is profound and he's asking us simply to take hold of that for which he took hold of us. He took hold of you because he loves you, first of all. Straight love motivation. God so loved Love is the motivation. God saved you because he loved you. He provided for you because he loved you. He gave you eternity because he loved you. He takes away sins because he loved you. He puts his spirit in you because he loved you. Love is the motivation. And then there's another reason. He saved us, the Bible says, out of a motivation of love, but he saved us unto good works, the Bible says. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not by works, but We're also God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, these great things he has in store for us to do. And so the the, the principle with God is to respond to his love and receive his provision and then, and then we say, what do you got for me, Father? What next? That's the aim. And the Apostle Paul's doing that. He's all about, I love you, what next? Some people are like, I love you, no, I don't want to know what next, I want to go do my own thing. It's like, no, that's not a Christ follower. Christ followers are like, what's next? And what he's saying right here is, um, since we know God's got specific gifts and calling, uh, I want to encourage you guys, if you want to see God make things happen in your life on another level, you have to come to terms with what God put in you, the calling that God has on your life. Everyone in this room has a specific and unique calling from God. Not just to believe, yes to believe, but more than just believe, to step into the good works that he created you for. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We were created, all of us, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What are they? Do you have any idea? Do you have even a sense or a direction of what God is calling you into? Because Unless you and I step into the things that God is calling us, there is still a vacuum, there is a void in certain areas. 
There's vacuums and void. We look at Israel's history, people not stepping into the calling of God, and there's a vacuum and a void. And God is sovereign. He'll raise somebody else up. And if they don't do it, he'll raise somebody else up. I remember the great evangelist, Reinhard Bonnke, who is the Lord's used him to lead millions to Christ. Um, I'm, he was sharing one day that he was struggling with his calling of what God was calling him into, and he felt the Lord calling him into third world missions, and he said, Lord, why are you calling me? Why am I first? Why am I first? And he said, clearly the Lord say, you're not, you're third. The other two said no. How's that? <laughs> That's when God gives you a pop quiz, pop, and you know you've been quizzed, right, by God. Um, but yeah, he, he's like, you're not first, son. Don't, get, don't let it get to your head. You're third. You're third. The other two said no. But the point is, God was calling him into things, and he stepped into those things, and God has been making a lot of things happen as a result of that. So we have to do that. So um, the second point this morning, if you're a note taker, I encourage you to take this down, is this, to identify and take hold of your God-given calling, to identify and take hold of it. Take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. He took hold of you because of love. He also took hold of you because you got a specific calling in your life. And he loves you. And he wants to lovingly encourage you into it, to help you, to prepare you, to encourage you to step out in faith and represent him being light and salt in the world in the specific areas that he's endowed you with by his grace, with spiritual gifts and natural abilities, experiences in your life. He's got all these things into your mix, into your makeup, uh, how he's created you. And it's to step out into a realm that he specifically made you for. That's your calling. We all have these callings and we have to identify. So identify and take hold of your God-given calling. And I say take hold because some people might think, yeah, I think God made me to do this, but they don't grab it. They don't grab it. They just contemplate the concept. They contemplate the idea, the principle, but they don't grab and take hold of what God made them for. And until you start grabbing what God made you for, you're not gonna see God make things happen in your life on this level that I believe we all desire. The Apostle Paul's like, I'm, I'm done kidding around. I wanna see God make things happen. I am taking hold of that for which he took hold of me. I got no time left to goof off or to, to waste time or to look back with regret and go coulda, shoulda, woulda, not anymore. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. I'm done. I'm stepping over the line. I'm his. And other people are like, well, I accept the forgiveness, but I got value over here and I need to be about my value. And Paul's like, yeah, I already came to turn. I've graduated past that. I understand value. I live there, but not anymore. I'm not putting value on stuff that has no ultimate value. I'm putting on value on things that God sees as valuable. And this is how God is just moving along doing profound things. So identify and take hold of your God-given calling because he didn't, Jesus didn't save you to leave you. He saved you to prepare you and send you. And we see that in the narrative of all the apostles. He didn't say, just trust and believe and stay right where you're at and go back to your own business. He said, believe, now turn and follow. Come with me. We're going on a journey and you're gonna see some stuff that's gonna rock your world. God's gonna use you personally to see transformation, but come with me. He doesn't save us to leave us. He saves us to call us into the work uh, that he's doing. That's really important. And this whole transformation is a process. It's a process 
And uh, we're not where we used to be, and yet we're not where we're going to be. We're all in this process. I certainly am. I trust you are too. We're all in a transformation process. Paul is too. He's being transparent with us and, and kind of explaining this process. And here's how he does it. He says right here in this passage, he, he says, this is how you do it. You forget what's behind and you press on toward the goal. You forget what's behind and you press on towards the goal. Now, this is golden because you can't press on if you're still holding on. You can't press on and hold on at the same time. If you try to hold on and you try to press on, you will find out that you're not making any progress whatsoever. You can't do it. It's like a ship tied to the dock trying to head out to the seas, full, all steam ahead, you know what I mean? Full blast, all the engines, and you're, you're tied to the dock. It, you can't make progress when you're still uh, strapped down. And, and he's telling us that you got to forget what's behind and press on towards the goal. Uh, If we don't let go of what's behind, uh, we end up becoming neutralized. We're going nowhere really fast. In fact, this happens in football. Um, There's a term called forward progress. Gentlemen, you know the term, forward progress? Okay, in football, you're moving the ball down the field, but once in a while there's a guy running and you got about eight guys tackling them and they're, they're sitting there and at some point, there's no more forward progress. There's none. And so the rest, blow the whistle, the play is dead. Why is the play dead? Because the plays, there's no more forward progress. The refs know at this point, someone's just going to get hurt. Someone's going to get hurt. If you let these guys just push themselves around, forward progress is over and someone's going to get hurt, so the play is dead. I would suggest that in our lives, God wants to help you with forward progress. God wants to help you move forward in this transformation progress. God is for you, not against you. And, and God wants to help us in this, in this process right here. And, and so the third point is this, guys, and if you're taking notes this morning, is, is to forget what's behind and press on toward your God-given goal. You have to forget. There's some stuff back here, guys. If we hold on to it, we'll go nowhere quick. Paul could have had a lot of regrets in life. Why me? Why did this happen to me? I love God. Why was I shipwrecked? If I love God and I'm serving him, how come I was floating in the ocean for two days? Okay. If I love God, how come when I threw something on the fire, a scorpion jumped up and bit me? What am I, cursed or something? Uh, if, if God loves me, then why, did he, why am I still in it? He, he could have done all this stuff. He's like, I'm forgetting what is behind. God's got a calling in my life. I'm pressing on ahead. And this is where we see the momentum and the transformation in his life is that there's forward progress all the time. Paul is always thinking with forward progress. Um, it's about becoming all God is calling you to be. And, and when you think about it in that in your life, if you could just imagine just for a second right now, think of your life and think of if God were going to let you and help you right now today, even get a picture of it, of you becoming all you could be for the glory of God. Don't make any, well, I can't because of this. Just forget all that for a second. Just imagine for a second if you were to become all that you could be for the glory of God, what that might look like. Take a minute, think about that. What would that display look like? What would that future look like if you could become all you can be? If God was really making it happen in your life and transforming you and open the doors and there was forward progress on the things that God values, what does that picture look like? Because that picture may very well be your calling. That may be something that God hardwired into the DNA of your soul, that kind of picture of God getting the glory in your life. 
Paul's like, yeah, to get there, there's only one way. I gotta forget what's behind and I gotta press on towards the goal. How many of you guys have ever gone skiing before? Skiing, okay. Um, the, a lesson you learn really quick when you're skiing, uh, even if you're new, you know, some people are going down the hill all, you know, snow plow because they don't wanna crash. But, but as soon as you start, you know, getting your feet together and, and going, there's something you learn pretty quickly and that's that you have no control, no control if you're leaning back on your heels. And a lot of people are going too fast and they get afraid and they lean back and they crash. But at the same speed, if you just lean forward on the balls of your feet, you've got total control. Now here's what's weird about it. You're going down a hill and you're going too fast. You don't want to lean forward on your, on your balls of your feet, right? You don't want to. The idea doesn't sound good. But the second you do, you all of a sudden take a level of control that's on a whole new level. It defies logic, but it works. And Paul is saying the same thing. There's things that, that weigh us down. There are experiences we had. There are maybe hurts or uh, matters of uh, uh, unforgiveness or being hurt by others or experiences we didn't ask for or we didn't deserve in our past. If we hold on to those, we're never gonna make forward progress. But if we can forget what's behind, let's give that to the Lord. We're gonna take that question up with him when we see him face to face, Amen. How many got some stuff you want to ask them when you get there? It's okay. That's good. There's nothing wrong with faith that has questions for God. Nothing wrong with that. Put them in a category. Put them in a box. Forget what's behind. When you get there, he's going to make anything we knew in part will be fully known, Scripture says. So you can ask him anything you want. But in the meantime, lean into the hill like it's skiing. Get on the tips. Attack it and move forward. Make forward progress. God is all about your forward progress. And... Uh, I don't know about you, but when I think about this transformation progress, I, I, I'm challenged to assess my own life, and I, I feel like I'm only scratching the surface of God, where God wants to bring me and what he wants to do in his, my life uh, and how he's changing values and what matters most and, and, and putting behind and pressing ahead. I don't claim to have this down, guys. I'm a student of the word like you, but I will tell you, I, I believe he wants to do much greater things. Like the song we said, greater things are yet to come. I believe that to be true. I believe God wants to bring revival to our lives in this city in a way that we haven't seen most of us in our lifetime. I believe he wants to do that. I believe he doesn't forsake a generation. But we gotta take him at his word at some of these things. We gotta believe these things by faith. Let's uh, move on. Verse 15 says this. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if some of you... And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us give up, uh, let us live up to what we have already attained. Now this is an important reality. Paul is talking about the struggle everyone has and what we, how we try to move forward and what God's doing in our life and the things we value. And he, and he says this profound truth right here. He's talking about what you have already attained. Say already attained. This matters a lot. Because we've attained a lot more than we think we've attained. And if we come to terms with what we have attained, I think it helps propel us and to walk into things God's calling us to walk in. In Christ, there's some amazing things that we've attained. Uh, For example, through the provision of Jesus, to as many that received him, he gave the right to be called sons of God. Sons and daughters of God, literally adopted children of God, that you are actually a son or daughter of God. Now, we don't always feel like that, but when you're going through a trial, if you would say, wait a second, I've already attained sonship. I am already a daughter of God through Jesus' provision. 
We've attained that, but sometimes we shrink back and forget that. He's like, live up to what you've attained. Know, know that you're a blood-bought son and daughter of God. You've got to know that. You've attained that already if you're in Christ. The other concept, Scripture tells us that we're co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ? He's like way up here. Yeah, but in the, in the sense of royalty, this is what we have in a provision. You're like, wow, I didn't know I did. When you're going through stuff, know that you are royalty through the eyes of the Father, that you're a co-heir with Christ. There's an inheritance that's yours that's gonna be shared because of the provision of Jesus. Know that you are a blood-bought son or daughter. You gotta know you've attained this already. We don't always live like it, but we gotta know you've attained it. You gotta know that we're called to be priests and prophets. You're like, me? Yes, you. Uh, we're, we're ambassadors for him. That we're, there's a, we're ministers of the gospel of reconciliation, that we're all these empowered, important ministers. This is stuff we've already attained, even though we don't always think it, we don't always feel like it, but if you know that these things are true of you, because the word of God says they are, there's a whole different way we move forward in forward progress. If we start doubting these things, we shrink back. Paul is saying these things. Um, are we living up to the things we've already attained? That's what he's saying. He's saying you've already attained these things. This isn't something you've got to try for. Just live up to what you've attained. So our fourth point this morning is this. Live up to your God-given identity. This is your God-given identity. You are sons and daughters. You are co-heirs with Christ. You are royalty. You are priests. You are prophets. You are ministers. You are ambassadors. This is just who you already are by definition. Live up to your God-given identity. And I want to just cover this last part quickly. And it says this. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He reminds us, that we are surrounded by people. We live in a world that are surrounded by people focused on earthly things. When you turn on the TV, it's gonna be all earthly things. You're not gonna get heavenly things oftentimes. We're surrounded by billboards, a world system, everything that focuses on appetite and what will make you happy and what you deserve. Everything that we're programmed with, everything that Madison Avenue in New York through marketing sends at us, everything that we put in, in film, oftentimes much of the stuff that we call entertainment is you get, you deserve, and and this is good for you, and it's appetite. It's this insatiable appetite trying to, to, to get us involved, and that's the world system, and what he's saying right here is there are people who live for their appetites, and he's putting them in a category of enemies of God, and here's why. Because they're out there, there's a crossroad in life that we can go God's way or we can go the world's way, and the world's way saying, come this way. We'll talk about your appetite. We'll talk about what will fill your appetite. And it's a marketing and a consumerism and an insatiable desire that's never, ever satisfied. And there's people proclaiming that message and God's like, actually, that's enemies of God. Because what God is trying to say is that he loves people and he's telling people the opposite. God says, what gain did a man to, to gain the whole world and lose their soul? I know they're telling you this is the message, 
But listen, you still lose your soul in that category, that message. He's qualifying that message and people behind that wrong path as enemies of God. So we are told in this passage to look for godly examples. Say godly examples. This is where he's going here. Now, when we think about godly examples, ultimately we want to follow the example of Jesus. Amen? But how many of you guys have said, just honestly, well, Jesus is obviously the one we follow. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the resurrected one. But how many of you guys have ever gone like, but he's also God's son, and that's kind of tall order. Have you guys ever honestly thought that? Because I have. Nobody else? Come on. Yeah, because you're like, I got, I got to follow him, but his example, my goodness, do what Jesus did. Boy, he's God's son, and that's harder to do, although that's the aim. And then we can kind of simplify it sometimes in our thinking, going, well, Paul, Paul was a little, a little bit more of a regular dude. Even though Jesus took, fully took on flesh and was tempted in every way we were, he was still God's son. We look at Paul going, okay, well, you know, he's a guy trying to work it out. That's a little, little bit easier. But then we go, well, that was 2,000 years ago. And he lived in a different world. What about now? Paul is saying the same thing right now. Right here and right now, in the same world that you're navigating, look for examples now. Look for examples here and now. In this world, in this time, look for people who are rocking it in the faith department. Look for people who are living devoted as veterans in the department of faith. Look for people devoted to who are living for his glory here and now, He's like, look at those people. And that's what he's telling us to do right here. He's reminding us to follow example of those who model great faith and follow the example of those who live devoted lives. And the, the text tells us these things. It tells us to identify those people, keep your eyes on them, quote unquote. Paul's saying, keep your eyes on those people. I Figure out who they are. And when you figure out people who are veterans of the faith, even here and now, Lock in on them. Keep your eyes on those people. And then he also says, follow their example. I love this, and that's our final point this morning, is this, to, to identify faith veterans. Identify, identify the, the veteranos, the, vet, the veterans of the faith. Identify faith veterans. Watch them and follow their example. And what I love about that is it makes it relatable to me here and now. Who's struggling with the same stuff in 21st century LA that I am who's struggling with the same stuff you are we got the timeless word of God for timeless principles but it certainly helps when we see the testimony of others around us being victorious and more than conquerors and living for the glory of God who put value in its right place who know that God is doing greater things in their life because they're partnering with God in the transformation process the Bible's saying look for those people and identify them and maybe you can write in this community, and that's a great place to start. Or maybe there's people you're downloading their podcasts because they're speaking into your life in profound ways. But this is discipleship, guys. And in this, this 21st century, we have to take heart. We need mentors now more than ever. We need mentors now more than ever. We need to be teachable and we need to grow. And I want to encourage you. That's what he's saying right here. Paul's finishing up this letter pretty soon. He's like, look, guys. Follow my example, but also you got a bunch of people around you, he's saying, look for them. Find the veterans, follow their example. And uh, what, what, what's so great about this in closing is it helps me. When I look across town and I see somebody with similar struggles who's strong in the faith, you know what it makes me say? If he can do it, I can do it. And ladies, if she can do it, you can do it, amen? 
And that's what it's like finding veterans in the faith, people who are simply following the example of Christ well in a relatable sense that we get them, we understand them, they're accessible, we can hear their stories, they're doing it and so can you. And that's why Paul is saying, hey, listen, if you want to see God make some things happen in your life, check the value that you put on things. Learn to put certain things behind you and press on ahead because you can't press ahead with this. Also, if you want to see God make things happen, you got to choose your mentors. You got to be involved in discipleship. You got to be growing with somebody further down the road. Find out who they are, identify them, keep your eyes on them and follow their example. And on that note, I just want to close in prayer, asking God to seal some of these things in our heart. And so, uh, mighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. Uh, I, I pray, God, that you would begin to make this stuff a reality in our lives and our heart. Um, I'm sensing this morning, God, that if um, when you say take hold, the principle of taking hold of you is not an idea. It's not a good intention. It's not a um, concept. It's a spiritual reality. It's when we have a conviction saying, yes, I see your love reaching for me and I'm grabbing back and I'm grabbing on. I'm taking hold of that for which you took hold of me. You took hold of me out of love. I'm taking hold back of you, God, out of love. I just want to pray this morning, if there's anyone here who has not yet taken hold of the love of God and the forgiveness that's available in Jesus and the new beginnings, I just want to encourage you right now that God's calling you to take hold today, now, of what he's taken hold of you for. And the word says, in the day that you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I just want to encourage you. It might be a bold step to take, but no one's going to embarrass you. This is between you and the Lord. I just want to ask you this morning with everyone's eyes closed and head bowed, if you sense the Lord saying, take hold of me, I want to take hold of you, and it's motivated by love, would you just raise your hand this morning? I want to agree with you in prayer. Amen. Anybody else this morning that you're sensing the Lord calling you, he wants to take hold of you by his love? Anybody else this morning? Anybody else? Hallelujah. The Lord's pleased with you. Anybody else? The Lord's pleased with you. Lord, I just want to thank you. And for those of you who raised your hand, just pray this in the privacy of your own heart. Lord, I receive your love. I'm responding to your love. I thank you for the price Jesus paid on the cross. He died for my sins and rose from the grave. Thank you for taking mine away. I turn, I follow you. But Lord, like the one hanging off the cliff, I'm grabbing your arms. I'm grabbing your arms. You saved me out of love. And that fall would have been a deep one. It would have been a perilous one for all of us. And you pulled me out of it. And I'm holding on to you. And I thank you for your gift. And now, Lord God, seal that in my heart. Grow me strong. Put your spirit in me. And show me how to grow in the ways of Jesus. Thank you for that, Father. And Lord, for the rest of us in this room, there's another thing that we haven't taken hold of. We've taken hold of you and your love. But Lord, we haven't taken hold of a calling. Take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. And Lord, there's areas of calling that we simply have walked around it. We've thought about it, pondered it, considered it, but haven't taken hold of that. And Lord, I I just want to pray this morning that we would make a commitment to our calling. If you sense the Lord, and maybe you don't know your calling, our prayer team is going to be available. In fact, if our prayer team could come up now, that'd be wonderful. Our prayer team is going to pray with you this morning. If you don't know what your calling is, if you're wondering, you're seeking, our prayer team is going to pray with you to help God's revelation in your calling in your life. And that would be beautiful. So our prayer team is going to be available for that or any need you have. But if you're here this morning you, and you want to take care, you have a sense of what God made you for and you know it's time to grab it and take hold of that for which he took hold of you, 
I just want to agree with you in prayer this morning. Is that anybody this morning? Would you raise your hand? If you know you got a calling and you sense it's time to, to take hold of it, anybody this morning with a calling, you know what God's calling you to and you haven't fully grasped it. Anybody this morning? Okay. Well, I just want to pray that God would compel us in our calling and that we would walk in these things in a deeper level. So mighty God, I just pray for everyone in this room uh, for a revelation and discovery on the calling, discovery on the areas that you've called us into to minister to others, to minister to you, uh, the uniqueness, whether it's areas of mercy, whether it's areas of compassion, whether it's areas of teaching, where it's areas of, of uh, hospitality, administration, uh, whether it's areas of intercession and prophecy, Lord, uh, there's so many gifts and diversities and calling, but Lord, I just pray for everyone in this room to begin to realize and understand your love, your calling, and begin to take hold of that for which you took hold of us. We love you so much, God, and there's so many greater things to come if we will just embrace and take hold of that for which you took hold of us. Show us how to do it, God. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for all these things, and we say this in Jesus' name, and God's people said. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.